Philip Lawler is the editor of Catholic World News. His writings have appeared around the United States and abroad, including the Wall Street Journal, Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post, and the Boston Globe. And in his brand new book, Contagious Faith, he talks about why the church must spread hope, not fear, in a pandemic. We want to welcome to the program Phil Lawler. Welcome, Phil. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being with us. And a very, uh, t- obviously, timely, but uh, most importantly, an important book today because of Cheryl and I were just saying how there's so many moving parts now, especially in, all, in the past year, has been so disturbing for so many people. Uh, what, what was behind you writing the book uh, specifically? Well, I was really shaken by what happened when the epidemic broke out. I mean, of course, all of us were frightened at first. It was, mm-hmm. that was, it was a frightening time. And then calmed down a little bit when we recognized the scope of the epidemic was not quite as disastrous as some people had had portrayed it. But what really upset me the most was when churches closed. And uh, we didn't have access to the sacraments. And I, I frankly couldn't understand why that would be at a time when, to me, access to the sacraments was more important than ever. Absolutely. When when you're... When you're feeling that your life may be in danger, uh, isn't that the time when you need spiritual help the most? Mm-hmm. Why do you think that that happened and is still happening? And uh, is it is it be a fear uh, on the part of uh, the bishops and the powers that be, or is it complying with the state? What 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 brought that about? I think it's both of those things. But uh, what I try to the argument that I try to bring home in uh, contagious faith is it's it's a sort of well a misapplication of of goodwill that too many people are concerned first of all about my physical health and uh, you know I want my doctor to be concerned about my physical health I want my priest my bishop to be concerned about my spiritual health and that should that should take priority. Well, it's something I think that you probably get a lot of pushback on, too, in that opinion, don't you? Even today. Sure. I think it's a minority opinion, but that makes it all the more important uh, to voice that opinion, because there's something else going on here, which is, uh, you know, the Winston Churchill—I'm sorry, it wasn't Winston Churchill, I guess it was Franklin Roosevelt said, nothing to fear but fear itself. Mm -hmm. A fear of the epidemic is is part of what is is depressing us. Yeah. It's keeping us down right now. It's it is also infectious, infectious, and I think it's absolutely essential for the church to revive the hope that people have and the recognition. Yes, uh, we do have a danger of a disease. Uh, we have a danger of death facing us. We always do and always will. We're all going to die. We can't mm-hmm. escape that. Mm-hmm. And we can't obsess over it. You have to live your life and do the best you can with the time that's given to you. It seems to me in my uh, uneducated, you know, non-medical background that initially, rather than closing the churches, could they not have quickly brainstormed to put into place, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll remove the holy water if we feel like that could be spreading some sort of germs, you know, the distancing and all that. But it took months before they decided, okay, now we can open. And initially, so many people were saying, well, 
why why not um, let hope and faith overcome the the fear that that was placed on everyone's mind? You know what happened to the faith and the hope of our of our Catholic um, treasure, the the background that we have. You know it just seemed to disappear. It did, and you're exactly right. And if you think about it, it's always been the case uh, during, usually during the winter and flu season, mm. that you take some precautions. Everybody takes a little precaution. You wash your hands more often, and you maybe you stay away from parties and so forth. You make your own decisions on how much you're going to curtail your own activities in order to preserve your health. Right. And that's as it should be. Right. And I resent having other people make my decisions for me, particularly when it deprives me of something that I need. Well, I always go back to when 9-11 happened, everyone flocked to the churches. They knew that God was the only answer and he was the only uh, protector, comforter, consoler. And in Mm -hmm. this case, you know, again, oh boy, look what's happening in the world. You want to run to church and all the doors were locked. Well, by golly. And those people that maybe really needed to stay home, and and granted, there are those with underlying conditions or respiratory um, failure, as it is, they didn't need to be exposed. Then perhaps, you know, they could have stayed home. But to still let other people have the option and don't exchange the sign of peace. We do that every winter, at least in our area. We're in a very populated area, central Jersey. And when flu season rolls rolls around, well, just wave to the person, but we're not going to shake hands. I mean, these are all very common sense things. I'm wondering, um, Mr. Lawler, at what point now when this initially broke, None of us projected that 13, 14 months down the line, we'd still be tackling some of these issues and still be, you know, closed down and only 50% capacity permitted. At what point did you say, oh, boy, I I think it's time for a book? Did you have the foresight that I have plenty of time to put a book out? (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't. Uh, I, I guess it was several, well, it was weeks before I really thought that I had to start writing it. And I write on Catholic culture site every day, and I, mm-hmm. I was starting to chafe at the restrictions. Yeah. But it didn't occur to me for a long time that we would be going without a normal celebration of Easter for the second year in a row. That yeah. I could never have predicted that. Of course, we all thought it was going to be a couple of weeks. Right. And we're, we're talking with Phil Lawler, and, and he's the author of Contagious Faith, Friends. It's published by Crisis Publications. You can check it out at sophiainstitute.com. Uh, the, the, obviously, there's, you know, everybody, everybody knows, nobody's denying, the virus is real. It has sadly, you know, uh, ended the lives of, of hundreds of thousands of people, and it's affected many others in other ways, uh, the physical aspects. But what are, what are Phil, what, and what do you cover in the book regarding the spiritual pandemic, you want to call it that, that, that we're, we're still dealing with and may have to deal with for years to come. Well, that's it. It's, it. There's a whole lot of collateral damage from not just from the virus, but from the overreaction to the virus. And it's uh, it, obviously there have been severe economic impact. And mm-hmm. by the way, that's, that's not just something that should concern somebody who's worried about the bottom line. If people are hurting. Uh, because of this, people are people are getting sick because they can't get the treatment that they should normally have for other conditions. Mm-hmm. And when you look inside the church, the same thing is happening. The church is 
you know, a field hospital for, for sinners, and uh, we're not getting treatment. Oh, yeah. People who are not going to confession, uh, it's, it's very difficult to find confession uh, in a lot of places, not being able to go to Mass. And also, I think attitudes are changing for the worse. Once you tell people it's not terribly important to get to church on Sunday, it's not terribly important to go to Mass, you can watch on TV or you know, live stream. How do you roll that back? How do you convince people? Okay, now we don't have to worry so much. The virus seems to be past its peak. You really should start going to Mass again. And a number of bishops have, have made that decision and that announcement, and I really wonder. Mm-hmm. Right, that's my thought exactly. And, and I love in one section you uh, quote Cardinal Sean O'Malley of Boston, and it was in 2011 that he um, issued a, a letter or a document pretty much saying, without Sunday, we, we cannot live. And right. yet, 10 years beyond that, just most recently, he's saying, you know, you're not required to attend Sunday Mass. I mean, he probably never thought those words would pass his lips. But, you know, in one decade, we all have to be there. You cannot live without it. And now, you you won't live if you do go. I, you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. <laughs> and you see, that this is the thing I... I really feel I can't live without it, and I was very fortunate to be able to find within a few weeks. I was be I was able to find places where I could go to mass. Yeah, uh, yeah. But often didn't... without the permission of the bishop. Mm-hmm. And as I say in the book, if if you tell me that I have to answer when you know when I get to the pearly gates, I have to answer for disobeying my bishop. By going to Mass, I'll take that chance. Mm. Right. Now, we're talking with Phil Lawler. The book is called Contagious Faith, Friends. It's published by Crisis Publications, and you can check it out at sophiainstitute.com. Phil, this is not the only uh, medical or pandemic crisis the Church has faced in 2,000 years. There have been many, many others along the way. Has the Church ever reacted this way to anything that you were aware of uh, medically or in this type of situation? No. The Example that a lot of people point to is um, the plague and St. Charles Borromeo closing the churches. And it's true, he did close the churches. What he did is he had Mass outside. Uh, and, and, you know, closing churches, I'm sure there are precedents. I can easily see circumstances when you just decide that for one reason or another, you know, the church has become unsafe, the building. But if you think the sacraments have become unsafe, you are not thinking the way I think as a Catholic. Mm-hmm. Now, you also talk about the ethics of vaccines and the plight of parish priests who are caught in the middle. There's so much going on. Are we going to come out of this? And if we are going to come out of it, are we going to be a stronger church? Are we going to be more of a remnant church, as Pope Benedict once prophesied? What do you think? I, I suspect we will come out of it stronger but smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, I argue that what we should be looking forward to is is enough people with enough of a commitment to the faith and enough strong faith and hope to have the resilience and the energy to infect other people. 
Yes. Uh, with the faith. Right, right. That's yeah. where the contagion needs to be, the, 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 of the faith and the love of our church. But, you know, we were on shaky ground before the pandemic in terms of people's commitment to Sunday. Well, yes, there's been a downward trend for years, and there are a lot of reasons for that, and you, I don't want to <laughs> go into the whole history, but I, I think that we're going to emerge with... Uh, the church composed the active parish communities composed of people who really want to be there because they know um, what they know what they need spiritually and they know that they need to worship together mm-hmm. and and that becomes much more of a commitment and the church well as Pope Benedict said it's when the church has been a creative minority those are all the peri- always the periods of growth. And if we are um, a sort of countercultural influence, which we are anyway, and would be even more so if we were saying, look, people, don't be frightened by the virus. Be, be intelligent, be safe, but don't be frightened. Don't live in fear. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a message that will make people respond and make people notice there's something different about about the faith and yeah. something that we want. Mm-hmm. Now, I know there are, there are, are, are a couple or a few dioceses that have uh, removed the dispensation. Is that is that right? Yes. And are there, do, do you know if there's any, any, any kind of information about how people are returning, if they are returning, same numbers, less numbers, more numbers, do you know? Yeah, I don't have that yeah. information, mm. and I'd really like to get it. My strong yeah. suspicion is that the numbers will be down. Yeah, well, that's the that's the big discussion. You know, they're, they're coming up with all these types of, of programs within dioceses. You know, what are we going to do? How are we going to get them back? And we, right. when they do come back, are we going to keep them if they come back? And I fear for the younger people, the, the millennials and those individuals who are on the borderline anyway, mm. who may at this point not return. But, you know, as you say, the— Well, we need a jolt, don't we? Because yes. Let's face it, young people are leaving in droves, mm-hmm. uh, and that's also, that's not because of the pandemic. It was happening before, mm-hmm. but we need something to reverse the trend, and, you know, business as usual will not do it, so yeah. maybe this was a shock that we needed. Yeah. Well, again, friends, the book is called Contagious Faith. We've been talking with the author, Phil Lawler. It is published by Crisis Publications. You can check it out at sophiainstitute.com or any other bookseller you choose, Contagious Faith. Phil, thanks so much for uh, writing the book and for being with us today. We appreciate it. Thanks again for having me. You're welcome. God bless you. Okay, God bless you.